0: But hey, I'm filling in today for Pastor Lance and Pastor Angel. They give me the privilege to speak this morning and kick off a brand new series. They uh, have been on vacation this week with their family. They got to go to the beach with their uh, three daughters, their son-in-law, and somehow a boyfriend that got to tag along. don't know how that works. I feel like I should have been eligible to go. If he's eligible to go, I would have taken a week at the beach and loved it. But uh, they are not here today. They're jumping back in tomorrow. I'm sure they're excited to get back and see you guys as well. Uh, but if you've got a Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And you're going to notice really for this series, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 quite a bit. Uh, so I figured as we're kicking off this brand new series called Battle Ready there would be nothing more appropriate than telling you about the first time your boy got into a fight, okay? Now, I don't mean like I have a younger brother. I don't mean those fights like with your sibling where you like slap each other all the time and fight. I mean like a real fight that I got into. And in fact, I don't know if I've ever shared this story from the front because my fear is, or used to be, like some teenager's gonna hear this and be like, well, I'm gonna go get in a fight. Here's what I can promise you. I am gonna be the least cool fight you've ever heard about, okay? Because here's where it starts. It starts in a trailer park and I'm wearing rollerblades, all right? I'm nine years old. I, live, I grew up in a mobile home park. And so there were two sides to this mobile home park. There's the older part and there's the newer part that had a pool, had a playground. And so me and my neighbor, Tony, I went to the other side. We were hanging at the playground. He's on his bike I'm on my rollerblades, I would still argue I was the cooler of the two, right? Um, But we're just having fun, hanging out. And this kid comes up who's a year older than me. He's a friend of his, I'm guessing, from school. Tony knows him. I don't know him. But for some reason, this kid started messing with me. So he took his bike, and I'm standing there on my rollerblades, right? A little bit taller. And he starts bumping me with his bike. Now, mind you, I'm nine years old. So I look at him after he does it a couple times, and I say, stop it. Right? Well, this kid then takes that as like an invitation to continue bumping me with his bike. So I say, stop it. Right? Eventually he does it enough where like it goes from just telling him to stop to then yelling for him to stop it. Right? So it's at this point that he decides he's going to jump off his bike. And if you've ever had a moment like this, you just know, you're not even thinking about it, something's about to happen, right? So he gets in my face, his 10-year-old self, and what I'm sure sounded like I just talked, sounded much deeper at nine years old, what you going to do about it, right? And he's in my face. And if you've ever been in one of those moments where you just know something's about to happen, that's where like the fight or flight response kicks in, okay? Now here's what I'll tell you there was no flight happening on rollerblades. You have to get a start before you really get going. By the time I would have turned, he could have grabbed me, had me down on the ground and just beaten the mess out of me, right? So the next thing I know, without thinking, I'm on top of this kid and I'm just doing my thing. His sister starts yelling, screaming, gets me off of him. So I rollerblade back home. Once again, not cool at all, right? Rollerblade back home. I get up the stairs, right, you're wearing rollerblades, so you have to do like the stomp walk like you're wearing ice skates. Get in my bedroom, sit down on the edge of the bed and I just feel the adrenaline, right? Just going all throughout my body. I'm feeling as just like, ugh, like intense, just angry, a little worried that I'm gonna get in trouble and a few minutes goes by and my dad comes into my bedroom and he says, everything okay, son? And I'm sitting there on the edge of my bed with all this adrenaline, all this anger. And here's what I said. <laughs> like started sobbing to my dad because I, like, I didn't know what to do with the adrenaline of this whole interaction. Like I had no clue what was going on inside my body. All I knew was like, I'm afraid I'm going to get in trouble. And then maybe I hurt the kid and I didn't realize it. Once again, nine-year-old and rollerblades, wasn't hurting anybody, but I was just super nervous the entire time thinking, I'm going to be in so much trouble. What happens from here? Here's what I want you to know this morning, is you right now, sitting where you're sitting, have something in common with nine-year-old me. It is not the rollerblades. Those went out of style a long time ago, although I think, I think they might be making a comeback. It's not the tears, right? Some of you might have cried a little bit, but you're not sobbing right now listening to me. We'd all hear it. Here's what you have in common with nine-year-old me, is you are in a fight. You right now, in this moment, are in a fight. I don't care if everything is going really well for you right now you feel great about everything in your life, every relationship you have is on point and feeling excellent, or if you're the opposite, where it seems like nothing is working, nothing feels good, everything gets misinterpreted, everything's a battle, the truth is for all of us, whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley, you are in a fight. You're not in a fight with a bully on a bike. You're not in a fight with a coworker who talks trash about you behind your back. You're not in a fight with the boss who doesn't appreciate what you bring to the table. You're not in a fight with your kids who always talk back to you because they always know best. You're not in a fight with your spouse, even if you were arguing on the way here and then you saw somebody in the parking lot and realized we have to turn it off now because we're at church, right? You are not in a fight with anybody that you physically see here today, but you are in a fight. You are absolutely in a fight in this moment. And this is the fight of your life. It's a fight that started before you were born. It's a fight that will likely continue after you die. You are in a fight and you will always be in this fight. In fact, I'll put it like this. Since before you were born, this fight's been happening and the battle's been ready for you, the question we want to ask in this series is this. Are you ready for the battle? The battle's ready for you. Are you ready for the battle? Are you ready to fight the fight of your life that's been happening since before your life began? And so to do that, we're going to start next week. Uh, Pastor Angel is going to be preaching and we're going to talk a lot about what the Bible calls the armor of God. Uh, But today we're going to start this whole thing by simply talking about the fight that you find yourself in. And to do that, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10 here in just a moment. But to help you understand where we are in the scriptures, uh, if you're not familiar with where Ephesians is, it's towards the end. But Ephesians, this letter that Paul wrote, he wrote to a church that he had started. Uh, So in Acts 19, we find Paul on his third missionary journey. He's going around the known world. He's preaching the gospel, telling people the good news about Jesus. He's going and starting churches everywhere. And one of the cities that he stops in and he lives for quite a while is the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a big influential city that was really like the hub for the goddess Artemis. And so you had people that their entire livelihood were building idols to this goddess, And so Paul comes in, he meets some people who are believers, and he asks them a question. He says, "Uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Their response is similar to our response. They say many times, "Uh, we didn't even know there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul, the Bible says, prays for them, lays his hands on them, and they begin to speak in other tongues and prophesy. They've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and in that moment, the gospel just starts taking off like gangbusters in Ephesus, right? Right? It's just growing like crazy. It's having an impact everywhere they take it. And in the city, they're actually seeing an economic impact happen uh, when it came to the entire industry around the idols for the goddess Artemis, so much so that the people who profit off of this, they decide we can't put up with this anymore. So they start a riot, and the riot is raging, and Paul wants to go in and talk to people, but all of his friends are like, you can't go. If you go, they will kill you. Now, Paul was not afraid to lose his life, but I do believe Paul knew it wasn't his time quite yet. So Paul takes their advice, he goes away, and now he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, and he's writing them this letter saying, this is what the life that Jesus has for you is about. This is how you live this life. This is what unity in the church can look like. Like, this is what's really important. And as he rounds it out, he starts to talk about the fight that they find themselves in. So he says this in Ephesians chapter six, starting in verse 10. He says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So Paul's writing, and he says, you, church in Ephesus, you are in a fight. And the thing I love about the scripture is the scripture was written to people about 2,000 years ago here in this instance, but it's also written for us today to remind us of the exact same thing, that here, this final word, you are in a fight. So what I want to do today is I want to help you understand three things about this fight that you find yourself in. So if you're taking notes or you're following along on the app, here's the first thing I need you to know about this battle is that this battle has a real enemy. This battle has a real enemy. Uh, my oldest son is seven years old, and there are so many fun things about this age. Uh, one of them is getting to teach him new games to play, right? Like, you can only do shoots and ladders for so long without wanting to end your own life, right? Like, you want to play games that actually involve strategy. You want to feel like you won, and it wasn't just an accident because you got the right card at the right time and did nothing to earn it. So we're playing games that now require you to think and think a few steps ahead. So the other night we were playing a Pokemon card game, all right? If you don't know about Pokemon card game, good for you. I'm happy for you, okay? So we're playing this game, and my son is very competitive, and he loves to talk trash. Like, loves to talk trash. He gets it from his mom, okay? Um, Eh, not really, but... Loves to talk trash, and so my favorite thing right now is I don't let him win. So when we got done with this game, I'm telling you, somebody needed to call the police because there had been a murder, okay? <laughs> like I slaughtered my son in this game, and I, I let him know there are things you can do in a game against your four-year-old brother that you can't do against 37-year-old dad. Because 37-year-old dad is going to see it coming, and he's going to smash you, okay? And so we get done with this game. He wanted to quit once. I didn't let him because I wanted to really make sure he knew who the boss was, right? But we get done with this game, and it's one of the things I tell him is like, hey, buddy, and as lovingly as I can, like sometimes you just got to realize who you're playing against. just got to realize who's on the other side of the table because once you realize that it can really inform what you do and how you play the game here's what I'll tell you in life I think we need to have a better understanding of who's lining up against us like who it is that we're actually battling because Paul makes it clear right it's not against flesh and blood enemies but he says we need to stand firm against the strategies of our real enemy the devil Now, the problem we have with the devil in 2023 usually comes down to a couple things. Number one, I think a lot of times we made him so cartoonish that we don't see him as a threat. So we look at the devil and we think, like, he's dressed in red. He's got the horns, the pitchfork, blah, 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 right? Does all that stuff. So much so that, like, we have it in pop culture where it's like the devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other as if they're equals. And we just don't think he's really that big of a deal because we think when we see the devil, it's obvious And we don't have to worry about it then because we'll see him coming from a mile away. The other problem is, I think a lot of people have just decided for whatever reason, we just don't even believe he exists. We kind of argue his existence away and act like that's something people believed a long time ago. We're more enlightened now. We're smarter. We just understand there are evil people that do evil things and this is what we're fighting against. Paul would argue against that, but guess who else would argue against that? Jesus, the ultimate trump card right there. You can't argue with that, right? So here's the, here's the reality is we take Satan seriously because Jesus takes Satan seriously. We take Satan seriously because Jesus takes Satan seriously. In fact, notice some of the things that Jesus says about Satan. He called him the enemy, called him the evil one. He said he's the prince of this world and that he has a kingdom. In other words, he's saying Satan, the devil, has influence here right now. He says that Satan is a liar and the father of lies, that he's a murderer and has been one since the beginning. He claims that evil men are Satan's sons. He says a woman was once bound for 18 years by Satan. He looked at one of his disciples, Peter, and says, Peter, Satan desires to have you. He says that Satan has angels, and then he says one more thing. He says, oh, by the way, eternal fire is prepared for him. Like, if Satan isn't real, then we'd have to claim Jesus must be making a lot of stuff up. And I don't know about you, I'm not comfortable saying that I trust Jesus to save my soul, but I don't trust his input on the devil. Satan is someone we take seriously because Jesus takes Satan seriously. So if we're gonna take him seriously, here's some things we need to know about Satan real quick. This is, Satan is destructive, deceptive, and determined. Satan is destructive, deceptive, and determined. Jesus says in John 10, 10, he says that the thief, another thing he calls Satan, he says the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. So make no mistake about it, the devil's end goal for your life is complete destruction. He wants to take everything about you, everything you love, everything God has for you and wants to annihilate it. His goal is destruction. But like I said, he doesn't make it so obvious to where we see it coming and go, well, I'm not gonna do that. See, Satan is also deceptive because what he'll do is he'll take our destruction and he'll wrap it up and think this is, make us think that this is something that will lead to our flourishing. That actually what Satan presents us doesn't look like pure evil, it looks like greatness. It looks like something that will stroke our ego. It looks like something that's gonna make me feel better about me. See, he's deceptive. In fact, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. He says, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light remember about 10 years ago, my wife and I, we were starting a brand new church in West Akron, and so we're in that phase of the life of the church where we are uh, trying to build a team and we're raising money. So I would have like, no joke, some days where I'd have five or six coffee meetings in a row to recruit people, and I was dumb and in my mid-20s and didn't realize you can drink water at some of these. So I would be like six coffees deep at this point so by the end of the day, I'm sitting there and I'm wondering, why does nobody after like three o'clock ever join our team? It's because I look strung out on something, right? Like I'm scratching my own neck, I'm bouncing around, I'm, like what's happening, right? But there was one lady, I was meeting with her at a coffee shop just up the road from my house where my wife and I still live, and I'm, I'm listening to her, trying to, I should say, but off to the side, there's a University of Akron student and he is interviewing a man who claims to be one of the leaders of the Wiccan community in Highland Square, the neighborhood that my family and I live in. And I was like captivated. Like I, I couldn't stop listening. I, I was the worst listener for her because I couldn't take my ears off of this conversation happening over to the other side. And I'm listening to this guy talk about his experiences and what he feels and what this does in his life. And there was a day where I would have heard all that and I would say, dude, you're just making stuff up. Like, that's not real. You're not real. Come on, you're faking it. But that verse in 2 Corinthians, honestly, just came to mind for me that day that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So here's the truth, guys. People are experiencing evil disguised as something spiritual, as something good for them, every single day. There are people who have been completely lied to and they believe that what they're experiencing is for their best. They don't actually realize it's the deception of Satan and it's heading towards their destruction. Satan is deceptive, but he's also determined. Uh, Peter, the guy that we said, Jesus looked at and said to him, hey, Satan desires to have you Peter would years later write in his letter to all the people that would read it, he says in 1 Peter 5.8, he says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. The reason I think it's important that we really read what Peter wrote is he says that the devil is a great enemy. Peter's been a few rounds with him at this point. Like Peter is the one who would be deceived into denying Jesus three times. Peter's the one that would really have to, really start from the bottom back up Because he had fallen for the schemes of the devil. He says, you gotta watch out for him. He's a great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So make no mistake about it, Satan is real. This battle has a real enemy and he is destructive, he is deceptive, and he is determined, which takes us to the second thing we need to know about this battle, and it's that this battle is a spiritual battle. This battle is a spiritual battle. So we're getting ready to celebrate 4th of July, Independence Day. I love it, okay? It's one of my favorite things. I don't love the fireworks at 2.30 in the morning, but I do love the 4th of July. I mean, let's be honest. So I live in Akron. We have to play from like Memorial Day through the end of the summer with bullets or fireworks. We're not quite sure. Like you're listening more for the concussion, okay? Being totally honest with you, like, hmm, that didn't sound like it should, right? Um, So I I love 4th of July. Our third president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson, he did something towards the end of his life that he's now famous for, but when he did it, he hid it. He didn't want anybody to know because for him to do what he did in his day would have absolutely ruined him for some people. People would have criticized him. They wouldn't have ever wanted to talk about him. It could ruin his legacy, so he hid it. What he did was behind closed doors, he took a copy of the New Testament, and a knife. And he started cutting things out and then pasting them in a different book. To where eventually we have now what's called the Jefferson Bible, right? And here's what you have in the Jefferson Bible. You have all of the miracles gone. Anything miraculous that happened in the life of Jesus, it's out of there. He took everything that his enlightenment brain couldn't rationalize and got rid of it to where what you have left now in the Jefferson Bible is a New Testament that presents Jesus as a moral man who can teach you some incredible things but has a horrible end to his life. Because in the Jefferson Bible, there is no resurrection. There is no walking on the water. There is no multiplying of the loaves and the fish. All of that, if it couldn't be reasoned, was taken out. Now, I don't think that many of us in here are planning on going home today picking up your Bible in a knife and cutting things out. I don't think that's going to be a temptation for you, mostly because I wonder if half of you know where your Bible is. But, <laughs> but here's what I'll say. I think what we do, honestly, is a lot of times we have the same attitude that people like Thomas Jefferson had. We can't make sense of the supernatural We can't figure out the spiritual. So what we do is we take it, we read it and go, that's cool, put it in a corner and then act like it doesn't exist. Here's the tough truth about that, guys. The supernatural, the spiritual, it's as real as it gets. Like everything you see and experience now, all of it is underpinned and informed by something spiritual. Every single bit of it. Our entire existence that feels physical is actually spiritual. So I want to be careful to make sure it doesn't sound like I'm saying there's stuff that's just spiritual and stuff that's just physical. I'm going to argue with you that it's all spiritual, every single bit of it. But what we do is we tend to approach every single battle in life as if it's 100% natural. So if I get frustrated with a person, I don't need to pray about it. They need to be better. If my husband doesn't do what I tell him to do, it's not because he's being discouraged or beat up or fighting some kind of spiritual battle or the enemy's waging war against our marriage. It has to be that he's just coming up short. We act like everything is natural, so we fight every single battle because we believe it's natural. We fight it as if it's natural, and so constantly what happens is we lose battles. We lose lots of small fights because we don't recognize them for what they are. This battle is a spiritual battle. So here's my challenge for you. My hope would be today, you begin to flip the assumption. Like what's the worst thing that would happen if the next time you felt attacked, you didn't just try to figure it out naturally, but you prayed about it? What's the worst thing that would happen if when all of a sudden you hear, somebody's been saying something about me, you don't just go after that person or put something about, on, about them on Facebook without using their name, but you actually decide, no, I'm gonna take a step back. I'm gonna pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? What's informing this? Because I'll tell you a lot of times the people you can't stand because you think they're jerks, they're just super discouraged. Like you think you have an enemy, what they really need is a friend and you could be that for them. But we treat everything like it's natural, so we're gonna fight natural things, natural ways, and constantly feel like we're, we're coming up short. Here's what I want you to understand. Spiritual battles are fought with spiritual weapons. Spiritual battles are fought with spiritual weapons. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, in other words, our experience is physical. Like, I don't know about you, when I leave this place today, I'm not just gonna all of a sudden like morph into the lobby. I'm gonna use my legs, I'm gonna walk there. My experience is in the flesh, it's all physical. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. It's incredible when you start to realize how truly spiritual your existence is, how you can start to have victory in things you never thought you'd have victory over. Like, what if your porn addiction isn't just about porn? What if it's not just about sex? What if the way you spend money isn't just about you liking nice things, but there's a deeper insecurity there that the Holy Spirit would love to speak to? Like, what if your problem isn't just what you think it is, but there's actually more to it? Here's how you experience victory. Start fighting the spiritual battle with spiritual weapons. Take time to pray about it. Take time to say, you know what, this isn't just something I'm gonna pray about, but it's something I'm gonna to go to God's word for because he's gonna give me wisdom. I'm gonna to begin to ask God for things like wisdom and discernment because what's gonna happen is I don't know it, but guess who does know what's going on? God, and he can tell me. Why do I feel the way I feel right now? Cool, I think you should absolutely see a counselor. I'm not telling you not to, but I will tell you, let's do a counselor plus the Holy Spirit. Let's ask God what's going on here. Taking time to do things like fasting, one of the least popular things. I'm not telling you, go fast on the 4th of July. Eat those ribs, eat the brats, celebrate your freedom by clogging your arteries, right? But what I am saying is, like this should be a strategy for us to say, okay, I'm gonna follow in the way of Jesus. When he says that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I get invited to practice denying myself through fasting to say, okay, I want my life to be less about me and more about Jesus. It happens when we decide we're gonna fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons, but there's one spiritual weapon I I don't want you to overlook because it feels the most natural, and that's biblical community. Biblical community. Like, you in this room are the answer to somebody else's prayer. It's not because you're great, but it's because Jesus can make you available and use you for great things. There's something... Incredible that happens when you have somebody else has the right to challenge you and you not go, Well, that's church hurt. They told they didn't agree with what I said I was going to do. Yeah, because what you were going to do was dumb, right? But embracing biblical communities say, like, when we say, like, this is church family, like, I use that phrase a lot. I don't use that because it sounds catchy. I, I use that because I believe there's actually a weight to that, right? Like, community actually matters. If we're gonna win spiritual battles, we gotta fight them with spiritual weapons, and one of those things is each other. So what do you need to know about this battle, this fight? Well, this fight, once again, has a real enemy. His name's the devil. He is deceptive, he is destructive, and he is determined. This battle is a spiritual battle, and spiritual battles are won with spiritual weapons, and the last thing you need to hear about this battle is this, is that this battle is finished, but it's not over. This battle is finished, but it's not over. Uh, I love movies. I do. I love movies. Now, the problem is the movies I love and the movies my wife loves are two very different things, okay? I like to watch things blow up. It doesn't need to have a plot to it. If somebody flies, if they shoot lasers out of their eyes, I'm good with it. I am so on board. Like, I just love to see mindless movies. My wife likes Pride and Prejudice, and that makes me want to vomit, okay? Okay? Like if I hear Mr. Darcy one more time, I'm going to kick something, okay? But here's the thing. My wife, God love her, right? Been with me for almost 16 years. She could watch the same movie and the same show over and over and over and over and over. And I'm like, when for the love of God will something blow up? Like just for once, something blow up. But that's not how we roll. Now, there is one type of movie that we do enjoy watching together. And that's typically when you take somebody's real-life story and you put it on the big screen. Like, just enjoy it. I know not all of it's real. I know they stretch the truth on some things, but I tend to enjoy it. So about a year ago, uh, we saw the movie Elvis. Anybody ever see the movie Elvis? Some of you are like, I didn't see the movie, but I was live for it, right? So either way, I wasn't, so I had to see the movie. Sorry, guys. Um, So went to see this movie, and, like, it was, to me, it was a movie. I got lost in it, right? Like, this guy, Austin Butler, who played Elvis – Like, incredible, his voice, crazy change, like, his mannerisms, everything, the way he sinfully moved his hips, all of it seemed very legitimate. I I have never been that limber. Like, that's never been a thing for me. All, the movie was great. Here's the thing. Elvis was a cultural phenomenon, still is. In fact, my wife and I know a guy, we, we know from our past, he's got, like, Elvis tattoos all over his body, okay? That is not me, somebody else. Cultural phenomenon. So he'd have these concerts and people would be losing their minds trying to get to him, right? They'd be screaming for him to come back out for one more song, one more encore. He would give him an encore, maybe two. And eventually what would happen is he would have to leave the building via police escort. And the only way that people knew this concert is truly over and you can go home now is somebody would come out over the system and they would say, ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has left the building, and 90% of you that could say that are probably over the age of 40, right? Elvis has left the building, right? It was, it was this indicator out loud that said, this is over now, go home. You don't need to be here anymore. I will tell you, one of the things that I love about Jesus is Jesus, in the, in the midst of one of the most painful things anybody could ever go through, being hung on a cross, he gave an audible, an out loud indicator that right now, in this moment, everything has changed. So just like Elvis gets to invite people to go home, Jesus invites us to realize everything is different. How you live now can be completely changed. Here's the word he said, one word that we translate into three. He says, to die It is finished hanging on the cross John 19:30 says Jesus tasted the sour wine and said it is finished then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit he says it's over like Jesus has won humanity's been redeemed the justice of god is been absorbed into the life of Jesus, the shame that humanity felt can be removed, the fear that we have towards things like death doesn't have to be there anymore. Jesus won, he finished every single bit of it. We have complete and total victory because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. When Jesus says to die, it happened in the past, but it has present power for you and for me. But notice when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Jesus had already said it was finished. And yet he still has to write about this fight that they find themselves in. And so for us today, yes, Jesus has won, yes, it is finished, but the fight we're in still isn't over. So what do you do when you realize, yes, Jesus has won, but there's still fighting that has to happen. Well, we go back to the start of Paul's final word in verse 10. He says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord. In other words, like not strong in you Like the the goal of the gospel is not that you pick yourself up, dust yourself off, lift your spiritual weights, and then you've got this strength that's yours to then do whatever you want to with it. It's no, it's, it's you need to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I love the way a friend of mine, his name's Mike, he put it like this. He says, being strong in the Lord isn't about God giving you strength. It's about God becoming your strength. So when I feel at my weakest, I don't have to figure it out for myself, I can rest in him. When I'm tired, I don't have to keep pushing through, but he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I don't have to figure it out for myself, I just have to find where's Jesus in the midst of this. And I can rest in that, because he wants to not just give me something, he wants to be everything for me. He wants to give me himself and allow himself to become my strength. There's a a story in the Old Testament where David, he's been anointed king, but he's not quite king yet, right? Very similar to where we find ourselves. It's finished, like he's, he's gonna be king, he's just not there yet, and he's got this army of men, and they're traveling around, they're fighting battles, they're doing what they have to do. And in 1 Samuel chapter 30, it talks about how Uh, The men, the army, they came back to one of their home cities, Ziklag, and they found that the city had been burned and the women and children had been carried off. These were their wives, their sons, their daughters. In fact, two of them were David's own family. So the men do what any rational person would do in that moment. The Bible says they weep until they couldn't weep any longer. Like they're out of tears. Couldn't do it. In that moment, what happens is their anger then and disappointment shifts from their enemy to now it starts to turn towards their leader, David. Because if it wasn't for this guy, we wouldn't be in this predicament. They were safe before, but we followed him and now look, look what's happened to us. Can I tell you, there's gonna be a cost of following Jesus. When you make him the leader, the Lord of your life, there's gonna be times where you're gonna be tempted to think, man, if I hadn't, followed Jesus everything would have been better as lovingly as I can say it that is a, an immature and foolish way to view things because we understand the reward of following Jesus is so much greater so when, the, when everything feels difficult and it feels like it's too much like I'm sure it did for David here what do you do when you feel like you can't do it on your own what do you do it says in verse six, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He found his strength in God when life was at its lowest. See, who or what you find strength from will determine whether or not you experience victory. Who or what you find strength from will determine whether or not you experience victory. Can I tell you, one of the the most harmful things I see often is when life is bad, we know we should turn to God, but we quickly turn to something else because it seems easier and more convenient. Like I should turn to God, but one of my friends is like, girl, let's go get a drink. That's easier. I should turn to God but she's available, she'll make me feel good. We need to be people who are determined that when life is at its most difficult, we turn to God. Because God takes difficult and declares it done. He says, it is finished. So I'm gonna invite you, if you will, just where you are. If you could bow your head and close your eyes. want to take a moment to challenge us. What I know will happen is you will leave this place today. You will start thinking about everything that's next, including lunch. And the way that you feel like the Holy Spirit's been pushing you and pumping you up and getting you ready for what's next could easily go away. I also know that for some of you, life is so difficult right now that even hearing that Jesus has victory seems like a reality that's outside of your reach. I just wanna encourage you with this. With Jesus, victory has already happened. Just gotta stay with him. He's gonna get us through. If you're in the, in the room this morning or joining us online and you'd be honest enough to say like, hey, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I haven't made him the Lord or leader of my life. I, I haven't decided to follow him, but you feel like today, this is your next step. Here's what I invite you to do online. A moment's gonna pop up. You can click that. Our online host, Kelsey, would love to pray with you. But here in the room, I'm just gonna ask you if you would. Nobody's looking around. Would you just just raise a hand to say, man, I wanna make Jesus the Lord of my life. I wanna follow him, I wanna follow him. Thank you. Jesus, thank you that you give us the victory. That yes, we're in a fight, we're in a battle that's been happening since before we were were even born, but you also had the victory from before we took our first breath. Yes, we're gonna talk a lot about spiritual battles. We're going to talk a lot about spiritual warfare. We're going to deal with a lot of these things, but help us to remember that everything we're talking about comes from the stance of victory. That you have done it and you continue to do it every single day in us and through us. I pray for my friends in this room and online who are just feeling tired, feeling beat up. Pray that you would become their strength They would feel your peace and your presence in their lives. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. In in your name we pray. Amen.